Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege it is to be able to hear your voice. Lord, we thank you for the way that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we're able to understand your voice. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be moving amongst us this morning as we look at your word together. And Lord, we pray that he would convict us about the surety of your word and so that we trust it and follow it and what it says. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews together, we've come to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which is a chapter that speaks about people who have trusted in God and have shown their faith in marvellous ways. I said last week that it's like a, a hall of fame, a hall of faith or an art gallery as you see the different artworks of God, the way that he has made people down through the ages as they've trusted in him. And so what we're doing is we're learning what it means to live by faith, which is what was taught to us in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Chapter 10, when we work through that together, ended with a quote from Habakkuk in verse 38 of Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got a church Bible there, I encourage you to have it open before you as we look at this passage together. Page 1191. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. And so now the author of Hebrews is unpacking what it means to be a righteous one who lives by faith. And in previous weeks, we've seen what it meant for Abel to live by faith. And then last week, we saw what it meant for Enoch to live by faith. And so this morning, we come to the next person in God's hall of fame, in God's art gallery, and that is Noah. Noah. And so we're going to be looking at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, which is found on page 1192 of the Black Church Bibles, and looking at Noah and what we can learn from him as a man of faith. So what did Noah do? What is he famous for? What showed his faith? Well, we look at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, and we see that by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. What is Noah known for? Well, it is for building an ark in holy fear. Noah was warned about a judgment that God was going to bring on the world, and it was a judgment that had no visible signs that the judgment was coming. That's what it says there in verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Noah was told that a flood was coming, and yet there were no visible signs that that flood was coming. Just like sometimes we trust the weatherman and the forecast that he makes, and I look up at the sky, and he says there's going to be a thunderstorm in the afternoon, and I look up and I say, I don't think so. I think we should hang the washing out, honey. And then the weatherman is demonstrated that he knows something that I do not, uh, he has radars that I do not have access to, although these days with the internet I do, and so I trust him a little more than I used to. But he knows something that I don't. And there's no warning signs that a thunderstorm is coming, but it comes because of the information that he has. And that was the case for Noah. Noah had no signs that the earth was going to split open and that the floodgates of the deep would come up, that the floodgates above would start to bucket down rain, but all he had was the warning from God that a flood was going to happen. 
And so by faith in the word of God, faith in that warning of God, he built an ark. He built an ark in a place that had no water around it in the desert. And the reason he did it is because he had this warning from God. And what was the result of his faith? Well, one result is that he built this ark. The other result is that he brought salvation for him and his family. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By having faith in God's warning, he built this ark and ended up saving himself and his family from the flood that was to come. Another result that we see is that he brought condemnation on the world. He brought condemnation on the world, and we see that in verse 7 as well. The second sentence there says, By his faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah actively condemned the world. Uh, he is said in Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, that he was a preacher of righteousness, that he proclaimed the righteousness of God, but he also passively condemned the world by building an ark. When he decided to construct that ark, people would have been asking him, what is he doing? He would have explained to them, and then his ark would be a monument that judgment is coming, that God is displeased with sinners and is bringing judgment upon them because of their sin. And so when they look at the ark, they are condemned as sinners, that God is going to wipe out everyone from the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. And so what was the result of Noah's faith? Well, he built the ark, he brought salvation for him and his family, but he also brought condemnation. That's the thing. As soon as you start to believe in God's word, the opposite comes about as well, that you condemn those who are in unbelief. There's no fence sitting. Either you believe or you don't believe. And so when Noah goes across one side of the fence to believe on God's word, he then brings condemnation on those who are not trusting in God's word. So what is Noah famous for? Well, Noah is famous for being a person of faith and brought about the building of the ark. And so he and his family are saved in judgment and brought condemnation on the world by his behavior, by building that ark and also preaching in righteousness. And so Noah is really a story about judgment. I think sometimes we forget this, that we think Noah and his ark is just a nice uh, story for children. And we see that in picture Bibles and we even see books dedicated to it and Noah and the animals are all depicted in, in lovely terms and even cartoon-like characters. And you can even buy little Noah's arcs. You can buy one for your children to put in the bathtub and they can sail it around in the bath, in the flood there in the bath and you have the animals that you put in and out of the, the ark. But Noah's and his ark are not a happy story. It's a story of judgment, a story of how much God hated the sin that the people of the earth were committing. Noah is actually a warning to us today that God takes sin very seriously and that he judges sin. We might think that Noah is a quaint story in the past, which we just amuse children with today, but really it has great impact for us today. It reminds us that God brings judgment upon sinful humans. 
And this is picked up in the New Testament, particularly by the Apostle Peter. He draws a parallel for us between Noah and the judgment that God brought with the floodwaters and the judgment that is to come. And so this morning, as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, I thought it most appropriate for us to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, which is found on page 1,205, page 1,205. And you'll be helped to turn there now as we look at more verses than we'll look at in Hebrews. Uh, We'll look at quite a few verses in 2 Peter chapter 3 as we look at the warning of the wrath of God that is to come and how it is so similar to the warning that was given to Noah. There is a great parallel between Noah and the judgment that he saw and the judgment that is to come. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. There in verse 2, we're being reminded that God has spoken. God has given warning through his prophets in the past, his holy prophets, but also through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, through his apostles. God is not silent. He is a God who speaks. He gives warning. And he has given warning in the past, and that warning continued through the Holy Prophets in the Old Testament down to the New Testament where we have Jesus himself and the apostles. And then what does Peter go on to say about their revelation that has been given? Verse 3 says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But these waters also, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What is Peter reminding us of here? That scoffers have always been. There are people who scoff about the judgment of God. They say, yes, there's a warning meant to be coming, but where is it? Life keeps on going. Verse 4, they say, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And you can see that with people today. We are warned that there's a fiery judgment that is to come, but we look up in the sky and we don't see fire coming. We may feel the temperature rise a little, but then summer goes and winter comes. The earth cools again. The sun may flare up, have some sunspots for a while, but they die down. Bushfires may come with all their heat, but after the bushfires go, growth comes again. Life continues on. And so people scoff. They say, where is this judgment that God warns about? just as they scoffed in the days of Noah. They would have looked at Noah and seen him building this ark and said, where is this judgment coming that you are telling us about, that God has warned you about? And they scoffed and they said, life goes on. We aren't seeing this flood that is coming. And so when we come today to the word of God, we have to remember 
that Noah was warned and the flood that God warned about did come. And that's what verse 5 says of Second Peter chapter 3. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter is drawing a parallel between Noah and us today. People scoff, scoffed in the past about Noah and people scoff today. But they forget that God promised in the past and a flood came. And so if God has promised that another judgment is coming, then it will indeed come. The scoffers, when they scoff, they're not right in their scoffing at God that there will be no judgment. And Peter goes on to explain why they can scoff and then no judgment comes. Verse 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's interesting when we see people scoff at God, scoff at the judgment to come, and they scoff that God doesn't exist at all. I once went to an atheist conference. It was an interesting experience. I have an atheist friend, and he invited me along. He was quite impressed that I went at all. I went along, and I'm still not quite sure whether it was the right thing to do. I was trying to witness to my atheist friend. Uh, but one, uh, two of the talks were... Okay, the, th- the middle speaker, there were three speakers, they come from the States, these American atheists, uh, very popular amongst the atheist crowd here in, a, in Sydney. And the middle one, he, he did a sort of a reenactment of the Bible and he scoffed at God openly. He said, strike me down, God, if you are there. And he went on for five minutes mocking God and nothing happened. Now I was sitting there and I was praying that God would strike him down. I was actually, because I was starting to get pretty annoyed, pretty angry. If it hadn't been for my friend, I would have walked out if I was there on my own, if I'd just been going for my own interest's sake. I started to pray that God would give him a heart attack there in front of all these atheists. And wouldn't that be a wonderful witness to them all? But God didn't. Now why didn't God do it? Is it because God doesn't exist? No, Peter tells us why God didn't do it. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the atheists, they take the lack of God's action when they mock him, when they scoff at him, as a fact that he does not exist. Whereas what it is a sign of is that God is patient with them. As they scoff at him, he is extending his long-suffering towards them, his patience towards them. What happened that night when that atheist scoffed at God and nothing happened? One thing that happened was it showed that God is far more patient than Joel Radford is. Joel Radford had no patience for that atheist. He wanted him struck down. 
But God is far more patient. He is patiently waiting for that man to repent of his transgressions. He is giving him more time to understand that God has indeed spoken and that God will fulfill his word. If he has promised a judgment, there will be a judgment. There is an awful judgment to come. And that is what verse 10 goes on to speak about. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There is a judgment indeed coming. And it will come like a thief when people do not expect it. If you know when a thief is coming, then you'll be ready for that thief. We actually got robbed of something recently at our house. I bought a bike to go riding with my son around the bay, and we've never had any experience of anyone robbing anyone here in Des Moines. Uh, We think it's a very peaceful suburb. Um, And so I chained my bike up to the gas heater in the front yard because, you know, it was a pain to keep it in the house. And one day I walked out and, where's my bike? Someone had come along and snipped the chain and uh, with bolt cutters and taken my bike. At least they got a few rides around the bay with it. And I think I learned from that experience that it's not all that enjoyable riding a bike as much as I did as a kid. But if I had known when that thief was coming, I would have been ready for him. And I've even toyed with the idea of having a, a, a webcam hooked up in the front room and putting out Jill's bike, which she never rides, as bait to catch him next time he comes. I'll chain it up again and I'll put it out there and catch him on camera. If we know when a thief is coming, we'll be ready for that thief. But the thing is, God's judgment will come like a thief. And so we need to make sure we're ready all the time. And how do we get to be ready for that judgment to come? Well, verse 11 tells us. Second Peter Chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, verse 11 says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What are you to do in light of this judgment that is to come? You're meant to trust God's word, and you're meant to be at peace with God. You're meant to be living a holy life, a righteous life, have a spotless life before God. Now, how do you achieve that? I've tried for years to achieve a spotless life. I still find myself transgressing against God's word. How do I get that righteousness that God requires so that I am at peace with him, so that when the judgment comes, I will be safe? Well, that's where the book of Hebrews tells us. That passage that we've been looking at, Hebrews chapter 11, and particularly verse 7, reminds us once again about the righteousness that we can have if we are to be at peace with God. How did Noah obtain his righteousness? 
Turn with me back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. We've digressed to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now we go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll look at Noah and what we can learn from him about how we can be righteous so that we can survive the judgment to come. What does it say in verse 7? By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How do you have peace with God? Is it by your work? No. It is by faith. It is by trusting in God, by trusting in his word. That is how you are righteous before God. It is so interesting how the righteousness that is attributed to Noah is described. How did Noah achieve righteousness according to this text? Verse 7 says, By his faith he condemned the world and became heir, inheritor, of the righteousness that comes by faith. Do you earn an inheritance? No. An inheritance is given to you. It's granted to you. Maybe you suck up to someone for a few years. You are really nice to them and someone outside your family and they have no other family and you're really, really nice to them and you win them over and so they write you into their will. Okay, well, maybe you do get an inheritance that way. But generally speaking, how do you get an inheritance? It is granted to you despite you. And that is how Noah obtained righteousness. It was granted to him. He trusted in God. And because of his trust, the righteousness came to him. Not even that the faith itself merited God to give the righteousness. Basically, the faith is the conduit, sort of like a pipe, by which the righteousness comes to you. So it's all about trust. It's not about you living a spotless life. It's about trusting in God, trusting his word, trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. The wonderful news of the New Testament is that you don't have to build an ark to be saved in the judgment that is to come. An ark has already been built. It was made when Jesus Christ was incarnated, when he took on flesh and then died that death that we deserve. And so the New Testament speaks of us needing to be in Christ and Christ to be in us. Jesus Christ becomes the ark by which we save the judgment to come. His body, his blood is the shield by which the wrath of God descends upon him. And if we are in him, we are safely wrapped up in him. And you can have that if you trust in him. So as we hear about the judgment to come, particularly from Second Peter chapter 3, the, the way that fires will rip through this earth, which is a good reminder to us to keep in mind as Christians that it's coming and so we need to be in Christ, but also to not cling to the things of this world. Think of all the things that you value most in this world. One day they're going to be ripped with, through with fire. My fairly extensive library out here will one day be a really good bonfire. The paper will go in an instant. I value those books so much, but I've got to remember that there is a judgment coming and cling to God, cling to Jesus Christ in holy fear, respond to the judgment, not by scoffing, but with holy fear as Noah responded in holy fear as he heard the judgment of God was coming through God's word. 
So are you clinging to Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as the ark that you need for the judgment to come? Because one day the door will be shut and there'll be no more access to the ark, to Jesus Christ. That happened in the day of Noah. God shut the door and no one else was getting in when the floodwaters came. We need to remember that one day God will shut that door and we need to make sure we're trusting in him today so that when the judgment comes as a thief in the night, we are ready. You do not want to be left outside. And so you need to make sure you're trusting in the word of God despite the anger of scoffers around you. We cannot be surprised as Christians today that we are ridiculed for the faith that we have in God. Scoffing has happened since before the flood If you trust in God's word, you will actively condemn people around you as you speak to them about Jesus Christ and the judgment to come, the wrath of God to come. But you also passively tell them about, condemn them. As you trust in Jesus Christ, you're saying to them, I am something that you are not. You're an unbeliever, I am a believer. And so you're bringing condemnation on them. And they will often scoff at you, just as they scoffed at Noah. Noah looked crazy to those people at that time, building a huge boat in the middle of nowhere. And you, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you look crazy to people around you because you're trusting in things not yet seen, just as Noah was trusting in things not yet seen, that the word of God was true about the judgment that was to come. And so you look crazy when you trust in a God that cannot be seen, when you pray to him, when you serve him, when you come along to church on Sunday mornings, what a waste of a lovely Sunday morning, people think. Worshipping something that does, you can't even see, that doesn't exist, that can't be scientifically proven in the form of science that people often like to say. You look crazy as you come and you give of your resources to a God that cannot be seen. But we must remember that this is the soundest investment that you can make. It looks crazy to the scoffers that are out there, but it is the soundest investment. And they will one day rue the day that they did not invest in God, that they did not trust in him as they should have. When that judgment comes, a holy fear hopefully grips you now as you do not want to suffer eternally, so you trust in God's word. You do not want to be there when the fires come and then the fire of hell torments you forever. The doctrine of hell is a doctrine that I struggle to comprehend. What it means is that you'll be eternally tormented, that there will be pain for eternity. The closest I think I come to an experience of it is when I have a nightmare and you're in that dream and something really painful is happening to you and it doesn't seem to end. But thankfully it does. You wake up and you go, oh, it was just a dream. There's a huge relief. The terrible thing is that you will not wake up from hell. It will go on for all of eternity. So we need to trust the word of God today. Trust that God exists 
and trust in the Messiah that is spoken of in the word of God. We need to hold out against the scoffers. Yes, there's nothing visible to show them of your God and the judgment that is to come. But you have the word of God and you need to trust it and trust in its Messiah. And yes, as your faith condemns the scoffers, they may squeal at you, they may even hurt you, as they do around the world to some of our brothers and sisters. But we must remember that sometimes our faith leads to other people being saved as well. Remember Noah? It wasn't like he was saved alone. He had faith in God's word and he built an ark that saved him and his family. And sometimes people will feel the condemnation that you bring upon them as you trust in Christ and they will be convicted by the Holy Spirit that they are outside of the ark of God and they need to trust in Christ and they will come to him and be saved. So keep trusting in the word of God despite the scoffing that comes because you will be saved. You and the rest of God's family with you. Let us come to God in prayer. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy in warning us about the judgment to come. We recognise that many people around the world have not heard about this judgment. They are completely ignorant that there is a fiery judgment that awaits sinners. But Lord, we thank you that you have warned us by your word. Lord, we thank you that you have granted faith to many of us in this room so that we trust in your word and we trust in the ark that you have provided of Jesus Christ, his body and blood given for us. Lord, we pray that we would persevere in trusting despite the scoffing of this world towards us about the things that are not yet seen. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to lean upon your word. And Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who has not lived by faith in you. We pray that they would indeed. We pray that as they hear the warning proclaimed here this morning from Second Peter chapter 3, from your apostle Peter, Lord, we pray that they would fear the judgment to come and start to trust in Christ today. And we pray this in his name. Amen.